It's time to hear what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly at the cinemas and on DVD. Get ready for Wait for it! Film Sociology with WFYI's Film Guru. Kaiser Shizzy! No, that's Matthew Sozzi. It's such a fine line between stupid and clever. Yes. Let's find out how thin the line is. Here's your host, Matthew Sosi. I hate him. He's cuckoo for copal cuffs. Hello there, film lovers. Welcome to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. If you have a question or a comment, you can email me at msocy, that's M-S-O-C-E-Y, at WFYI.org. I'm also on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Matthew Sosi. The show is available as a podcast. It's also available on iTunes. And we have a blog, which you can check out at... Filmsociology.tumblr.com. The voice you heard is Kobe Slagle. Yep. How are you, sir? Doing very well. And, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, full disclosure... The show is recorded. <laughs> it's Thanksgiving weekend, and really, Kobe and I wanted to be with our uh, our respected loved ones. So, uh, so we're, we're sorry to break the fourth window or peek behind the curtain this week, at least. So, uh, anyway, with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, we we're going to start the show. We're in breaking format. We're going to start the show with a guest. Because uh, really, would you rather would you rather talk about horrible bosses too? And the Penguins of Madagascar, which we actually which we accidentally previewed last week, mm-hmm. but they're opening today. Or we could talk to my guest, who is uh, one of our regulars, better than being irregular. Uh, he is a, a chef, a TV personality, a, gast- a gastronaut, uh, husband, father, and I think he's going to be Film Sociology's Toronto Maple Leafs correspondent, <laughs> Chef Danny Boom. How are you, Danny? Hey, uh, buddy. How you doing? All right, man. How's it going? It's going good. I'm calling you from jolly old England because uh, I brought the wife over here for Thanksgiving to show her what she really should be thankful for. Exactly. Yes, that's did, fighting talk, I guess. Did she, did she bring her Red Wings gear? <laughs> she brought her Red Wings gear, and and I know this is recorded, but right now we have just been out um, looking for turkey. And believe it or not, because Thanksgiving is actually not a, a European holiday; it's a North American holiday. So right. To find a turkey. Uh, six weeks before Christmas is about as you're about as lucky as finding a needle in a haystack. So I've gone. Uh, we're here visiting the family and everything, and we've basically just been everywhere to find a turkey. And we actually managed to find the dissected parts of a turkey to make up a whole turkey. <laughs> you gotta reassemble. Yeah, do, are yeah, you reassembling uh, it, Doctor Frankenstein? I, I, I am absolutely. I think I'm going to have like a uh, the faux turkey underneath, and then just put the breast back on the wings, the legs, and then uh, you can make it better. It bacon. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, a, it's a six know. million dollar turkey. It would it'd be like the traducan the traducan of traducans. That's what I'm going to say of turkey. Yeah. So that means in the next one, you have to make it a bride. <laughs> <laughs> Ilsa Lanchester. <laughs> well, it already looks like the mother-in-law. Hey! Oh, jeez, that. Oh, boy. So, so I'm, I'm wondering, is, is hanging out with the families, is it like every Richard Curtis film that's been made? 
Um, <laughs> well, I'm not as affluent as Ricky Curtis's uh, friends and family. So, um, obviously, he, he lives in a very... Actually, I, I, funny enough, I've actually... Um, his his father-in-law uh, is... Um, uh, oh, Clement Freud. And Clement Freud is a very was a very um, prominent uh, food critic here in in the in the UK. And his wife, uh, Jill Freud, is actually you would love her because she owns one of the still to this day oldest um, property theatres in the UK. And that company meet every summer and they give uh, actors a a chance to basically. Um, hone their skills before you know as, as they're as they're developing and so she houses them for free and feeds them for free and i went there and filmed a tv show with them and cooked uh, and cooked with them and everything and it was a real pleasant experience but it was but richard curtis lives down the street and um but it's, it's funny because like the every time you watch one of his movies um i i think people get to there's, there's this real nice balance of british culture in all of his movies but all his characters uh, are always people who went to Cambridge University. Mm-hmm. And it's like, not everybody goes to Cambridge University, Richard. Not everybody has this wonderful life and is a, is a hopeless romantic. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it, it's it's very, very cool. One of the things I w- always about Curtis's films is is say what you will about the, the storyline or the leads, but it, in, in, in a sports term, the films of Richard Curtis, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Love Actually, uh, you know, all of those, they always have a, a Notting Hill, they always have a really strong bench. Always a really strong core of supporting oh, players. Absolutely, absolutely. But it's, I think it's obviously in um, for his scripts. They are a very, they're very deep. That the humour is is very fluid, and uh, and there's a real emotion to it. Actually, the last movie I watched, I can't, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was about um, the, the son who time travels. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. I think it's about time. Let's Kobe, let's double check that because yeah. that was really smart. It was, and it was Rachel McAdams and uh, Bill Nye was in it. And the, the 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 thing for me was though that movie actually brought me to tears. I'm not a uh, very emotional guy, and um, it was something that really made me. It broke me down because it is about those moments that you you know if everybody could time travel, it, you know even a time traveler dies, and it was such a sad thing that you know this guy's dad um, basically kept returning and returning and returning in the future and in the past, even though he was dead. Yes. And, and it made me think about all the times that, you know, being living in America and I've been there for 10 years, I've been living here for 10 years now and um, my wife's American and we just had a baby. And, it, and it's like the moments that they're not, that's why we're here because basically the moments that they wouldn't get um, and they're going to miss out on them and the time that I'm missing with them you sort of take your parents for granted. You take your family for granted. And especially as, as we are talking Thanksgiving and this time of year, that movie is really, really poignant to how you exist. You know, and I've and I, I got to say that really is one of the movies of the year for me. Agreed. I, and it, it did not it did not get seen enough, I think, left, definitely here in the States. Not sure how it did, uh, how it did overseas, it, but yeah. To be absolutely honest, it, I found it on Netflix and I saw it on a plane. And uh, and I've watched it three or four times now. Every time it makes me cry. Did you blubber um, on the plane? I blubbered on the plane. <laughs> they cut you off with drinks if you do that. You know that, right? <laughs> I, 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 was, I was sitting right at the back with my uh, with my iPad, so it was uh, no one noticed. But it was it was <laughs> because though I am your regular celebrity television personality and host, um, I don't fly first class. So uh, I understand. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, right, right there, back near the the hostess and the toilet. That's right. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> it's all it's all in the timing. Yeah. So <laughs> speaking of which, you you have a show. It's called Good Food America, and I know you can get it on yeah. the the Viria Living uh, channel. Actually, or what is it? It's actually changed. We've, okay. We've, uh, Varia, Varia rebranded just ah. as the show was about to air, and it is known as Z Living now. Z Living. And, okay. Uh, yeah, it's a really cool network. I've got to admit because um, it, it's uh, it's basically trying to fulfill the gap where Discovery Health left off, and um, and it's trying to empower people um, that can't get out to change their life. Now it sounds like a real hippie type of channel, but to be absolutely honest, it's very, very cool. You can we do yoga and Pilates lessons at two and four. Doctor Oz's daughter, uh, sorry, Doctor Oz's wife has a chat show on there. There is a lot of um, fun things like um, dance lessons, and, and I'm the only one of the only food guys on there. And my show um, is called Good Food America. Yes, and the idea is it is in in any terms you look at it, it is the healthy version of diners, drives, and diners. Um, but you get a slimmer, more charismatic, and well-dressed presenter. Are you, are you uh, saying you're less brotastic? Uh, I, I don't say fire at the end of every sentence. You're... So um, I don't know if Guy was listening. He'd probably chuckle at that. So now, that's pretty cool. I have to tell you, we, we, Kobe and I are trying a business venture. We want to have yeah. our own create-your-own Guy Fieri shirts. Bowling shirts. It's, um... it's a plain bowling shirt, and then you you can add on flames and skulls. Calls, dragons. Uh, oh, yeah. Poker chips, <laughs> dice. He's already, got the, he's already got the chef shoes, the sneakers, the See? knives. So there we um, go. You... But you've now cornered a market because no one's ever done the bowling shirt. Like right. That. So and... <laughs> Which means you need your Good Food America hockey jerseys. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, GFA because we don't give a GFA. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, you know, but I mean, the, the thing is, though, this show, and I've got to say, yes, is it changed my life. I, it's the first show I've lost weight on um, because the food was all about healthy. It, I mean, it's healthy, organic, sustainable food uh, restaurants that we visit. Mm-hmm. And the the really cool thing on this was that it's so accessible if you want to change your diet or you want to change it up in the week. Like you, you don't have to eat meat or you don't have to um, go to the, the king, the colonel and the clown every time when you want um, a good nutritious meal made of the best ingredients. So we went around the country and we literally went from, I mean, I seriously... You don't know what – until you do one of these shows, A, you don't know what's out there. And these guys – we went from dive bars to high-end restaurants, um, and everybody had this, this attitude of, like, well, we're sick of the – because I think for the last 10 – in the last 10 years, we've realized there's a lot of dirty secrets in food. Yes. And everybody's now got this uh, – is re-identifying of where their food comes from. So we, so it was really interesting to me. I mean, I met a guy called. Uh, there's a bar in um, Albuquerque, North Albuquerque, or Santa Fe, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, Doctor Feelgood. It's more like a biker bar, but this guy makes everything from scratch. Mm. And he and he has a local farmer that brings it in, and he makes his own bread and stuff like that. And you've got guys eating crap. You know, they're doing beers and shots while eating this really cool organic food. And it's like, wow. You know, this is possible. You know, we don't just have to have chicken wings all the time. Correct. You know? Yeah, and um, that, one, of the, one of the episodes I saw you you talked about, and, it, and I think it's a great example, is when you can have fish that was just in the water a mere mere hours ago. 
Yeah, literally, mm-hmm. literally. Um, I mean, and we're talking people are, you know, they're, they're reconnecting with the purveyors. Um, they're, they're literally saying, like, you know, I've got, a, like, this one guy, I think the episode you're looking at was Nick's on Broadway in Rhode Island, yes. um, in Providence, Rhode Island. And he has the guy, like, obviously, in Providence, Rhode Island, you're only a stone throw from the, from the sea anyway. Um, but this guy actually has... And if, as they're going home, these guys drop in and say, hey, Nick, I've got this fish or these mussels or these shellfish or something like that. Can you use it tonight? <laughs> and he pays them cash at, at the back of the door. And, and it's just like how restaurants used to be, where purveyors come back in and they reconnect in with the chefs. And it's also cool because they're teaching the chefs how to cook this food as well. So, um, you know, that was a real cool experience. You know, and as we're there, the, the camera's rolling and farmers are just rolling up. You know, I've got this, I've got this box of tomatoes left. Um, from the farmer's market, they can do anything with it. Yep, I can make marinara sauce right now with it. Bum, 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 bum. And it was, it's such a, an organic thing. It really, really is. It's just, it's really, really refreshing that people still do this. And we're not in this commercialized, you know, I mean, I, I think food has got way too commercialized and the, the chain, uh, the food chain has got way too polluted. So now we're, we're going back to our basics. We have a show for you, people, where you can go and find it. Good Food America Sundays at nine. Thank you for the plug. Well, also the fact that I mean, it, it also gives. I mean, it's it's a buy local concept. I mean, when if I'm on the road, I don't want to go to some place that I can go to in any city and every town. I want to find the local places. So um, I was curious how how many cities did you do for this run, and how long did it take? Right here we go. This is the most interesting part of my day telling you this because I, I really I I feel like the omnimac of travel. I did five months, um, twenty five uh, cities, seventy six restaurants, and had a baby in the middle of that. Well, you, actually, to be fair, Danny, you didn't have the baby. <laughs> she I, I had put a lot of work into that. Yeah, so you, know? you get you get a co-producer um, credit. I do. <laughs> Because uh, cause if one contraction and guys would be screaming for their mother. <laughs> yeah, well, I I was there all the way through it, and I actually nearly delivered the baby myself. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I would say that we, I don't say we were pregnant, my <laughs> wife was pregnant, but um, the, the 20 hours it took for uh, Remy to pop out. Um, it was uh, it was a team effort. Okay, That's what I'm all right, say fair enough. That. Now, with with all that, it sounds like you need like uh, concert tour T shirts. <laughs> the twenty third, the twenty fourteen tour. We did think of that. We actually did think of that, and um, and I, we, we actually in my office I have a map now, and I've realized in ten years of living in the states, I've nearly done um, every state. It, it, it was kind of weird that through that journey, the only place I've never been to is Kentucky. Um, and Hawaii, but I think I think I think out of 50, 50, 51, 50 states, I've I've nearly done uh, 40, 46. Forty six. Pretty, yeah. That's an A minus. That's good. Where, do you remember where in Indiana you went to? Ah, Indiana's not one. No, you know what? I, I've been to Oklahoma, but I haven't been to Indiana. That's where I haven't been. Guilt trip. <laughs> I know because you know the first. The worst thing is I was supposed to come and see you, uh, and uh, that's where the guilt trip comes. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, folks. This is the airing of the dirty laundry portion of the film show. <laughs> today's guest, Danny Boom. <laughs> In today's segment, you never loved me. Uh, no. <laughs> 
that, that's showbiz, folks. That's showbiz. So, so what is uh? So, uh, when do you get to go on the road again with this? Well, we're um, we're well. The show's airing right now. We actually did a, a big order. It was a twenty. Um, we did uh, twenty six episodes. So it was. Uh, that's why there's so many destinations and, and, and alike. But um, the interesting thing is that we're now the show is becoming very very successful. It's because it's a show of. I think it's a show of the time of where we are with with uh, the food culture in the country. And um, though Z-Living is not the biggest network in the world, it is really creating ripples with creating programming like this. So um, we've already started talking about the next season starting in the spring, which is really, 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 really encouraging. Um, and, I, and I'm actually, I've I, I got to say, it was my most, the most favorite thing I've, I've, the shows I've, I've done because it sort of, in one way, it proved to me as a chef that anything can be any any type of concept of a restaurant can be done now, and people will will eat it up. Um, it changed my diet and my life. I lost twenty five pounds doing wow. this, this show because it educated me. I mean, I used to think I ate really really healthy, but after you meet a couple of vegans and vegetarians, and they, you know, these guys are are in their late forties or early fifties and sixties, and they look like they're in their twenties. And what's the secret? Well, it's it's what I'm eating. It's what I'm putting through my body. And it's like, wow. So um, we actually, you know, we actually tweaked our home menu a little bit. And uh, I lost a lot of weight. And um, and I didn't think I was unhealthy or, or overweight. But I, I seriously have lost weight, got healthier. My arthritis doesn't bother me anymore. My, um, you know, um, I've got more energy and I didn't even drink more coffee because I've, I've cut down on my meat and, and, and gone basically into more, um, like more beets and kale and, and squash and type of things like that. So it's um, it was a really good education and it changed. And it also really brought my love for food back because when you do a lot of shows, I think what people don't understand is, is when you watch a TV food show is that there's a lot of behind the scenes, the producers, and then there's a culinary team that work with you to develop the menus and develop the show. And you don't really get to play that much with the food, or you don't really get that much contact. You're just you're sort of like on a um, conveyor belt to get the recipes out through the day. So when when you're actually working with these guys and you've done, the, like I've been doing the research, and you go and meet these people that have so much passion and so much conviction to really develop the best product they can and put it in front of you. It doesn't matter if it's a dive bar or a, a white tablecloth restaurant. These guys really had passion and it really and to actually touch the food again and meet the people where the food comes from uh really ignited my my love for what i do and and it really really is a i think i I like to say it comes across you know i really hope it does come across in the show it does it does and i think also you get to see a city's identity through its local businesses through its food um Um, yeah and that was the that was the other thing that really 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 was interesting but if you go to Portland, Maine, or Portland, Oregon, it's more or less the same ethos. It doesn't matter where it is. People, if they are connected to the, the city and the, the area, there's an amazing city pride about where you can get a good meal from. And we, I mean, oh, I mean, Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona was really cool. New Mexico was really cool. California, we expect those type of restaurants there. But then when you get into dirty, like Philadelphia, wow. Philadelphia had more restaurants that catered um, for the rich, organic, sustainable society and for vegetarians and vegans. 
And um, I mean, and, it, and it's the, the interesting thing about when you say vegetarian and vegan, it's not stigma. It's not about healthy food. It's about food. And it's also about, um, I, I think what we really, we, we do, the biggest problem in America is we look at meat and we think it's the, it's the whole dish. And what everybody, everybody was saying is actually meat really is the side in the dish because uh, 85% of your meal is, is grains and vegetables. So, um, and, you know, and so it's basically, there you go, you know, fruit, vegetables, starches, that's what your 85% of your meal generally is, your, your food intake. The meat side is really such a small element that, you know, you can pick and choose uh, your garnish as such. And it was just fascinating to see, you know, it really, really was. Cool. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, because there were, we're going to shift gears a little bit, but there were two films involving cooking that came out, uh, chef and the, uh, the hundred foot journey. Were you able to catch out both of those? I have seen both of them. Chef was as about as real as it gets. It's, it's realer than, um, kitchen confidential. Um, <laughs> and almost as profane. <laughs> Oh, I think I think they could have been more profound, to be absolutely honest. But um, yeah, I mean, I think every guy, John Favreau, just did such a fantastic job of letting loose on the food critic that I think everybody in the food industry would love to have been in that position at one time or other. Of course, and without also, without being filmed. Yeah, well, I think the luddite element of not understanding what Twitter is, I thought it was just perfect. And you know, for your kid to teach you what Twitter's all about. But then organically grow something. And, that, and, and the food truck industry um, can be hit and miss. But this actually proves, you know, this movie was really a nice reflection on that, of how people follow uh, a food truck and follow a, gr- a great story of food and what you're about to produce. And if you get something in a, a good niche and you stick to it and you, provide, and you really, you know, purvey it well, you serve it well, then you get a soul. And that's what people want from food these days is soul. And that movie just literally um, reflected everything that I think everybody in the, in the food industry feels sometimes. You know, you want to break free. You want to do something on your own. You want to have passion about something. But also you want to go on a journey. I want to, I want to, I mean, God, if I did Good Food America with a food truck, could you imagine how much fun that would be? We accept. <laughs> we we have a film crew. The the scene I always remember, and and it, it, I mean, other films have done this where it's the battle over over supremacy, whether you are the head chef or the owner of the restaurant. And there's a great scene where Dustin Hoffman is telling, com- comparing to John Favreau about the Rolling Stones and basically the cooking version of playing the greatest hits. Do you play mm-hmm. what is safe or do you want it or do you get to experiment? And I'm sure that's, that is something that ha- is happening in kitchens all over the world. Well, I'm very lucky. I don't have a boss. But no, you, you do. You, um, I think the element that, that you're looking at here is that it's about safety, but really People don't, excuse me, I just had a, uh, my coffee just repeated on me. Um, we'll scratch that piece out because this is recorded. But um, the, the element that we're looking at is that um, when you, when the owner says to you, play the greatest hits, he's lost, he's lost the identity of the restaurant because the identity, I honestly feel that a chef has to be challenged every day. And that's why, I, I you know, I, I don't believe in having a set menu. I don't believe having the greatest hits. You right. have to push yourself because chefs are, create, are, are artists. 
like it or not, people have to look at that. We are artists, like a, like a songwriter, like a poet, like an actor, like anybody who puts anything on a canvas, we are artists. And so to find, I think what the true thing is, is that the Michelin star guys or the James Beard guys are about repetition and, and creating the same thing. But I don't think um, the guys that actually, so, I mean, I met a lot of guys on this Good Food America tour that don't have a set menu. Right. They don't play the greatest hits. They throw caution to the wind and try something every night. And it's, every night's a special sport because that's where the creativity comes from. That's what I want to be as a consumer. I, I personally, I would want mm-hmm. it to be challenged. I can go anywhere and get um, chicken tenders, but I, I can't go and get um, a fresh piece of Dover sole, you know, fried up that was kind of came out of the sea that that, that day. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is where we we need to be, you know. So that was fun, you know. That was that that was a real that's a true testament. It's a very nice point that you picked out there. But also, it's a control thing because the owner is paying the wages, but the chef is running the restaurant and the ship. So, how do you stamp your authority? And I think sometimes, you know, you've got to really relinquish that. Yeah, and I, I think also from from an, a uh, a patron standpoint, and it's funny you you say artists, I will say they're also the audience. Um, to to, uh, to yeah, go and yeah. take to go and take a chance to go and see yeah what's what's on what's written on the board today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, to, and and uh, I think I think I mean obviously some people like the comfort element. That's why they go. That's why, they, that's why they go to Applebee's every time, right? Right. But, um, but if if I want to be wowed. I, and also, that restaurant in that movie was a what was a very high end restaurant. Mm. So I expect, amaz- I want to be amazed for an amazing, you know, for the, for the price I'm going to pay. And uh, it's not good to have board staff. It's not good to have um, board clientele. And uh, and I, I like I like throwing caution to the wind. It's, yep. it's that's what it's all about. And, I, and kudos to John Favreau for for directing this and starring in. I think he also had a hand in writing and producing. But of course, if I was making a movie, my ex wife would be Sofia Vergara, and I would be cooking for Scarlett Johansson every day. <laughs> if you hear if you hear carefully, our spouses are laughing their heads off. Yeah, All of yeah, us. Yeah. And, well, I think my I think my wife would definitely go. You just wouldn't know what to do. So uh, so 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 did mine. <laughs> Yeah, you just wouldn't know. You you just go 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 go. My mouth would be marbles. Be right. But um, the hundred foot journey was a very interesting um, movie as well in the food space because it's it was it was so strange that actually that both um, families or restaurants are about traditional food, but in their own space. But then the, the infusion of that, and there was I think there's a great line out of it, which is seen all over the commercials. It's like well. You've, you've changed that recipe. That recipe two hundred years old. And he goes, "Don't you think it's ready for a change?" Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you know. But in, in culturally, like when you're looking at two cultural uh, elements of in, like Asian cuisine and, and French cuisine, two things that are so rooted uh, in the fabric of a nation. Um, it was a it was a really an interesting story. You know, I, I think a lot of people missed. The, I think the food side sometimes got missed in the movie because it was very romantic, yes. driven. And 
but I, I really, you know, I, I thought it was a good, it was a very, very cool movie. I didn't weep at that one, um, but the wife uh, gave me a good squeeze because she thought it was a cute one. It is, and and I, I remember saying in my original review there there are there are moments in that movie where it it feels like a picture book, like a fairy tale, because you have the <sighs> the shots of the village, you know, the two restaurants in the village in the background, and of course, you know, you have the two characters, of course, in the first reel that don't like each other. And the yep. kid who's able to make his food journey, uh, we, whether it's across the street and then going into the big city. Um, of course, it, the, the food looks great. It also helps that you have Lot Holstrom directing it, who's who's done who directed Shock a lot many years ago. Um, but I guess this could this could I, I wouldn't say look up the term food porn online, but I know this has been mentioned in such such circles. You have to be careful when you put food porn in. Yes, by the way. yes, you do. Because uh, yeah, it's all, there's, there's, again, there's, it's all in the timing. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if I should mention that one, but that, no, there is, there is no. Okay, okay. Um. <laughs> All right. So, of course, the obligatory joke with that film is our favorite dish is Helen Mirren. Uh, okay. <laughs> she's she's in the room apparently. She's in the room. Who are you talking? Yeah. To? Who are you talking to? Nobody, honey. It's just no one. No one. Knows. That's all right. Thanks for the tea. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's Guy's Day here at a Film Sociology, obviously. Yeah, just well, now joining uh, us. Yeah, those tuning in, hanging well, out with Danny Boom. <laughs> I, I tell you, that the funniest thing that we uh, that in our house we got addicted to though was American Horror Story uh, on, on TV. And yeah. The funny thing is, you just said that. I just thought about my wife going into the the nun's uh, whip closet and beating me because I've been a naughty boy. Because she went to Catholic school, so I know that she she had whipped oh. like that in the mental asylum. Our Our Lady of Great uh, Agony. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so so how are, yeah how are things at the family household oh we're doing great thank you very much so uh it, we're we're baby how uh, how old is remy remy has just become uh one and uh which was um i don't know what everybody says like where does the time go and it is it, just gonna flash and then uh, megan and i have been married now for um for a year or two so it, it's been it's just lovely you know uh it, it's it's every day. I gotta say, every day is a blessing. So mm-hmm. you know, I'm a very, very happy boy. Well, I, I will tell you, I, I think you, you may have a few more months on this, but I always give this parent to, this parental advice to, to new parents: is you can pretty much watch anything you want the first year and a half, maybe two years. Because uh, you know, my daughter's 13, and she still hasn't brought up the fact that I watched The Wild Bunch when she was a year old. So uh, you know, keep that in mind. <laughs> I've seen more movies um, at home. I, I think, but uh, yeah, but we've missed so much. You know, we've not been able to get out to the sure. theater. Like, like you, you know, the one thing that we wanted to see was, um, oh god, the Hunger Games, the, the Mockingjay. The Mockingjay. We, we we wanted to get out. We wanted to see that at midnight. We wanted to be in the lineup, but we couldn't. Um, I, I wanted to see. Uh, oh. I'm sorry. This time of day, my mind goes crazy. That's but, okay. uh, the the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yep. I really wanted to see that, but I didn't get to see that. It should be so, about time um, for that to be released on DVD. Yeah. It, I, I mean, you're, you are at a, and and my wife went through the same thing. Was yeah, you don't get to go out, but if you if you're patient for a few more months, it'll it'll be on TV and DVD and Netflix and all that stuff. So it'll be okay. I wasted my. The thing is, the last movie I saw in a movie theater was Anchorman Two, and I was depressed that I wasted my time doing that. <laughs> Than, than the fact that you haven't been back since. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because I was like, oh, what was the last movie we saw? And it's like, Anchorman 2 is like, shucks. That was like, we really... That was the waste of fourteen bucks on that one, wasn't it? Well, so uh, so this there eventually will be now. Uh, um, uh, have you guys? Has you have you as a couple gone out yet, or are you still home? home oh God, yeah. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, we've been. Yeah, we've been lucky. We've been, that's why we're back in the UK because I could um, spend some. Well, we've been spending time. Um, our families have been great babysitting, so uh, we've managed to go out for a couple of meals and a couple. You know, we've been. We're, we're actually re. Um, <laughs> We've been put back into population. Good, really good. Good, you know, yeah. Um, and there, yeah. there, will, there will be a time, that, you know, depending on when, uh, when you allow Remy to start watching TV. That I went through this with Emma, but there was a period where Emma would watch the same thing every day, every well, we're, we're day. At that stage already. Uh, really? Matt, okay. Where, so, yeah, Daniel Tiger on PBS. Oh, yes. oh, thank you. We appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, um, he. Oh my goodness! That that cat is. I mean, yep. he's cool. Um, yeah, but the funny thing is, and this is the, this is the thing. I am now starting. This is the the, the uh, to your listeners. I have a very twisted imagination when you hear what I'm going to say. But I've started like uh, identifying the subplot within Daniel Tiger. No, you're not sick. We we no. we're, we're a PBS station. We watch it too. Right. So you know, you know. That Baker Acre and Mrs. Tiger had an affair because she loves his banana bread, right? And you know, you know that um, that that the the, uh, the the I mean, I'm going to sound really stupid, but now, but but there's Music Man Stan, and there's Miss Elena's daughter. But I know the teacher doesn't approve of their interrelation inter, interracial relationship because she talks to him every time in such a demeaning way. Hi, Stan. Hmm. You bring in her. <laughs> it's like that all the time. It's so funny. And Katarina <laughs> Kitty Cat, I'm telling you now, that kid would never come around my house. <laughs> right, little... you're, you're really breaking Did... down the uh, the storylines on this, sir. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I've watched I've watched four seasons of the damn thing. My kid's not even old enough to watch it. But like you know, what I mean, he doesn't understand what's going on. But he loves he, anything that's tiger stripes, red red sweater. Um, the songs are catchy, uh, but the the oligarchical state of King Friday he never mentions. And this is the other thing here, right? He never mentions um, Queen Sarah Saturday's name in the whole three seasons of, of Daniel Tiger. I've been watching. The Queen has never had her name spoken. They're saving her for you know she's in a tower like in The Lion in Winter. No, she's there though, <laughs> but they never introduce her. They're like they don't say, "Hey, Queen Sarah Saturday" or anything like that. It's all Prince Tuesday and. Prince went Thursday and wherever and King Friday, but no one ever says, hey, Queen Sarah Saturday. So I think that's a bit of a respect thing that we have to address with the writers on that person. Danny, do you head up the Daniel Tiger fan fiction um, (laughs) (laughs) brigade? You you bet, yeah. I'll be at Comic-Con this year. uh, Wow, <laughs> As I, I know I will get grief for this because Emma Emma is thirteen, but to this day she still likes to watch Peg Plus Cat because I mean it's it's odd enough and random enough, and Beethoven shows up for some reason, and the teenagers. <laughs> there's the purple fat talking cat, and it's, and you learn math what? along the way. Okay, we're well, talking of PBS great children's program, Sesame <laughs> Street. Okay, so Sesame Street. Don't you find that it's very, very strange that an actor of the ability of the guy that was in The Fisher King um, next to Robin Williams, I can't remember his name, but he was in um, 
Evening Shade as well with Burt Reynolds. Oh, Michael uh, Jeter. Yeah, he plays Mr. Noodle in Elmo's World. And I always like, that always amazes me that like, God, it did was he doing it for fun or is he, is this all the work he can get? No, you know? it was, it was a gig. Michael Jeter up until, up until the day he died was, was it one of those kind of, he was a, that guy, obviously, like you said, from, from evening shade and Fisher King, but he yeah, was yeah. constantly going from TV to movies, to television, to the stage. I mean, he was constantly working and his replacement is uh bill Irwin, who was another famous, that oh. guy. Yeah, he was in. Um, yeah, because he was in the Grinch. He was the, the daddy in the in right. The, the dad in the Grinch. Yeah. Rachel getting married. Um, yeah, yeah. Th- I think that's a that's a fun gig for a character. Remember, Morgan Freeman was on the original incarnation of the Electric Company, as was no. as was Rita Moreno. Wow. Yeah, look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm learning. This is you see. I'm learning now. I'm going through my my re- you know my next stage of understanding where people come from and where they end up. Because yes, of children's television. That's that's. I think that's great. It's funny. There was one rainy day that Lynn and I had. We did a week in Paris and a week in London in our for our honeymoon. And the one rainy day we had in London, believe it or not, we were watching. And it was the first time we were getting ready to start our day. And for some reason, we wound up watching uh, Maisie and Teletubbies. And uh, that that's a trip. Uh, yeah. And you didn't really have to take any substances anyway, because you still sit. I mean, I remember the first time I ever watched Teletubbies. And I, I honestly, I was so hungover that I thought, sorry, did am I, I? Am I seeing this? I? Yeah. You know, it was one of those. But, um, yeah. yeah well, so, before before we start to take it, you have you done Dark Side of the Moon and The Wizard of Oz at the same time? Totally syncs up. <laughs> Really? Yes. <laughs> oh, now we know what Danny's you've doing not, this weekend. You've not heard this? No. You don't know this? Okay. Yeah, here no. you have to yeah, get Dark Side of the Moon and get The Wizard of Oz. You have to start Dark Side of the Moon on the third lion's roar on the MGM logo at the beginning. The third. So the third roar the lion does, that's when you start Dark Side of the Moon. Did you, is, it, is this an urban legend, or is it just something? That, uh, yeah. it, yes and no. I mean, there there are right. some things that that line up, and it's it's kind of freaky. But how do you? How, but there you go again. How do you know this? How do you? How does somebody find this out? Well, you have to ask Roger Waters, and nobody wants to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, uh, you know the other. Well, the one I found out this week on YouTube was um, that uh, Taylor Swift "Shake It Off." Uh, song matches perfectly with the 1984 um, rhythmic aerobics gymnastic competition. And yes, you look it up. Really? Yeah, that's that's on a, the Onion had it on Great Job Internet. Uh, yeah. I I still think you should listen to uh, you should watch Strange Brew while listening to 2112. <laughs> Just for the hell of it, really. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> Over my head, but I'll take notes. Okay. So, I, 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 speaking of hockey movies, did you did you ever get around to watching Goon? Oh, oh yeah, and that was such a fantastic movie. Um, it really, really was. And I, uh, and I, I got to say, um, oh Jay, uh, what, uh, Jay, Jay Burchnell. Burchnell. Oh, he was a hilarious, but really well written by him. But uh, is it Sean Scott Williams? Yeah, uh, Sean, um, Sean William Scott, but yeah. Scott, Sean William Scott, sorry. It's my dyslexia coming in there. Okay. Um, I'm verbally dyslexic as well as uh, academically. Um, he, he, unbelievable. Uh, I thought he just he played a really good character, and it was a very, very fun movie, but a really nice story as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the, the job yeah. of the enforcer. 
it's one. I, I don't, it was amazing to see Les Schreiber in that. It was. Uh, I was kind of like, wow, you know, they've really got some good talent coming out, and he's he's scary man. Yeah, he is. He's very intense. He he does a lot of voiceover work, which which goes well. But but yeah, that's a that's a big. That's a big fight climax with the two of them. Even the scene in the yeah. restaurant, which is reminiscent of like heat, of uh, yeah. just you're gonna go down. <laughs> the other good movie of him was Defiance with Daniel Craig. Yes, uh, nope, not enough people saw that. That got weird. I remember it, it came out in December and January, and not enough people saw it. And that's a really solid action film. It it really is. And I, I and I'll tell you a funny story. The guy, as a guy who's in my building uh, when I lived in New York. And he, it, that was basically his life story. Wow. That, that movie. Basically, he was a 16-year-old um, blonde, blue-eyed Jew um, uh, from Czechoslovakia. And he, uh, he managed to uh, escape all of the, well, dodge, actually, all of the, um, all the, all the rounds of the people, gathering people for internment. And then one day they found out that he was Jewish and his family was Jewish, but they were, for some reason they were all blonde, blonde and blue-eyed. So he, um, they escaped and he went into the woods and became part of the resistance and fought the whole war from 16 uh, in the woods and lived like that for four or five years. And it's an amazing story. And, it's, and he, he, yeah. that's one that's not told. That I think that's a part of World War II that isn't, yeah, it's not shared. It's, he hasn't seen it on that many documentaries that sort of thing. It's, uh, yeah, well, Jacob was a very interesting guy because he, he was... Uh, and when you talk about people of, of grit, and, the, and you know, especially when Brian Williams said it was a special generation, those people who went through the war or went through the Holocaust or anything, the, the, the point of survival is amazing. And uh, Jacob is... is I, I'm not, he's still alive to this day, but he was telling me the day that um, Spielberg rang him personally talk about um the the background for um the schindler's list because he was he he was a holocaust survivor he escaped from a prisoner of war camp or a holocaust camp uh, twice and he still lived and and uh, i mean the guy was i mean well he was as resilient as a rubber ball and um but he said he, he spielberg rings him up and says you know i, I just want to talk to you about it and he goes I'm still living. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> and, and, but he didn't know who Spielberg was. But his <laughs> oh, daughter was sitting in the room saying, Dad, I really think you should talk to him, you know, because of Saving Private Ryan and, and Schindler's List and the foundation that Spielberg built. He was one of the very first uh, people that, that gave an interview and told them his story. And, but his story didn't end after that. He, this guy, he fought four wars. He, he fought the First World War. Uh, sorry, the Second World War and then Resistance. And then he um, escaped, and then he escaped to Cyprus um, and got then tried to make it into Israel through Cyprus. And uh, he got put in a holding camp by the British. Uh, and then he escaped that camp and then made it to Israel just as Israel was about to fight the um, Egyptians. And uh, he fought through that war as well. And, um, but his, his, his whole story is of escape, Fight, escape, fight, and then he came to America um, and and found peace and found uh, you know and brought his wife and and they had an amazing family and 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 he just sits there and like one day I was down and he's you got nothing to worry about life is just a complete roller coaster you just got to keep fighting through it and you'll get through it and I and like I, I could 
I could talk all day about you know the the his interview that interview with Spielberg has probably influenced parts of other movies that we've ever seen and heard of. It's kind of cool. Excellent. Go yeah. Look for look for that title because not enough people got to see that in theaters. Um, tell me a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the Gastronauts Italian Adventure? Oh, it's my baby right now. So what? Don't tell. Don't tell Remy that. <laughs> no, no. Well, uh, we, we, this is this is been a year. Literally, when this happens in January, I'm, I'm going to be really excited. Basically, I'm known um, as the ga- a gastronaut, yes. and basically that is a. A uh, person of a that goes to all the lengths, and obviously you've got good food in America. I go to all the lengths I possibly can. It doesn't matter if I've got to jump out of a plane, uh, ride a skateboard down the street. I'm going to try and find you the greatest food stories possible. And and I uh, I've partnered with Ski.com, and what we've come up with is the ultimate in uh, a foodie adventure because. What I wanted to do is I wanted to take people to where food, like, where where does Prosecco come from? Where does great Chianti come from? Where does um, great food, Italian food, come from? And that's just a start. We're doing France next year, and um, and we're possibly doing Greece as well. Where and does Sophia Loren to, come from? Well, <laughs> what I wanted to create, you see, I wanted to create, if James Bond and Audrey Hepburn wanted to go on vacation together, these are the vacations that they would want to go on. So, uh, so we have uh, two trips uh, in. We have uh, uh, basically it's five weeks. We, we're running the trips for. We have two trips. One goes to Milan and Cormayor, and the other goes to Venice and uh, Cortina. And in both trips, one one's a little bit more exciting than the other. I, I guess it depends. It depends on what you want from your vacation. So if. if what happens is we fly from uh, the States, we fly directly into Italy. In Milan, you go up to Cormayor, which is a, a beautiful ski resort, which um, is known as sort of like a, uh, a real um, fun place to be. But it has some amazing things. It's right at the foot of Mont Blanc, and we're going to visit um, the, uh, a 16th century vineyard. The family's been making wine in the same vineyard, on the same vineyard, since the 16th century, wow. and you, you can't buy their wine in a shop. You have to go to the vineyard and do that, and it's basically a gold medal standard um, winery. Then we go um, up uh, the mountain for a twilight meal via Skidoo. We <laughs> have uh, you can have breakfast uh, at dawn. You get a hot air balloon, and it takes you over Mont Blanc and drops you down. Um, and we have a beautiful breakfast set up that. We have a, a cooking lesson with the, the mama of Italian food. She's a Michelin star chef, Maura Tavaranti. She's a, um, an amazing chef. She's Michelin starred, and she's doing this two personally designed menus out of local ingredients, and she's giving us a, de- a cooking demonstration at that. And if that wasn't enough, in Mil- we go back down to Milan, and you have uh, two nights in Milan with, with a tour and uh, a personal concierge that can arrange you um, shopping ex- personal shopping experience within all the beautiful boutiques. So that's where uh, it's kind of cool. That one's really really cool. But the, what my personal favourite is the lower key one, which when we go to Venice, um, we're going to go up to flying to Venice, go up to uh, Cortina, and in Cortina. Cortina is where Hemingway um, sat out uh, his uh, parts of the First World War, and it was basically where he wrote a couple of great, great novels. And he, uh, in the Grand Cortina Hotel, 
is where he actually created his own cocktail list, and they still serve those cocktails today. So we're staying at the Grand Cortina, and the, the, uh, we're having uh, a personal mixologist who's going to make, we're going to have a, a, 19, a circa 1940-1950 cocktail party in the, uh, the guise of Hemingway. Uh, which is really exciting. We've got another great Michelin star chef um, who's doing another uh, design menu and cooking lesson, um, two of those. And then we're going to go on, we're going to be the two of the the most basically sought after. You cannot get into these places. And I've been very, very lucky to work with some great people who get me there. But um, one is uh, the Bissol uh, Prosecco um, Vineyard. That no one is allowed in, and these are these guys are the new wave of prosecco, if you can believe it or not. Mm-hmm. So that instead of uh, casting their their prosecco in um, oak, they do it in aluminium. It's a fresher, lighter prosecco. It, it's the number one prosecco in Europe right now. So we're the first tour group to go to that, and then we're going to um, take go back down to Venice on the same day, and we take a private barge from Venice to the um, what they call the 14 foot vineyard. And they basically grow the vines on these beautiful walls uh, because the sand in Venice, the, the earth in Venice is all sandy, so they can't actually grow the, the vines in the ground, so they grow them on a wall. And um, we're going to be the first tour group to do this. And what we do is you get, we have a, a lunch in, the vin, in between the vines. We have beautiful, uh, beautiful Pinot Grigios, beautiful wines uh, that we'll be tasting. And as you're tasting it, you'll be looking at Venice from... Huh an island on the on the cusp of Venice. So it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a first. And then we go back into Venice and we go to Harry's Bar, finish the day with some good old cocktails, which Hemingway would have proved himself. So that's our two awesome trips. But, but you, can't, you can't drink as much as Hemingway, right? <laughs> well, uh, we're going to give it a good shot. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, just don't put a hole in your head, okay, sir? <laughs> no, I, I won't do that. Adventure is a while. It's very far away from me. <laughs> But um, but no, it's, but what it is is it's, I really wanted to uh, give people um, something different, and we want, really wanted to create something that would really inspire people. And and the strange thing is, um, this, in this day and age, it is just as expensive to go to Aspen on a skiing vacation than it is to go to Italy. So wow. you you basically I've given you more bang for your buck. So mm. it's Danny Boom's Gastronauts Academy. Um, we are serving up the Gastronauts Italian Adventure on Ski.com. That should be everybody's Thanksgiving presents themselves. On Ski.com. I think what you're missing is, I've noticed, um, film concierge is missing from the script. Um, (laughs) Somebody, and he works his way in. Oh, my God, it'd be like a Fellini movie. Uh, Fellini, (laughs) Visconti, Bertolucci, uh, Antonioni. uh, Need I go on? Yeah, Visica, yeah. I bring my Sophia you know, Loren calendar. Do you know how many times I've watched Nine before I before I'm going? You know, it's like nine. That, that movie, like Nine. Yeah, it was. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis is one of the best movies I've thought I've seen him in a while. And uh, but actually, if people would like to follow me on Facebook or Twitter, it's Danny Boom, mm-hmm. and uh, you can actually follow along every day. I'm doing a, a uh, an Italian phrase that we all can learn. Nice. So you can follow me on my YouTube channel or my Facebook or on my Twitter to do that. So uh, we I know we got a few minutes left, but I was wondering um, what what can you do with leftovers besides bubble and squeak? Oh, dude, that's the that's the ultimate in leftovers. All right, well then, t- for those for those <laughs> all right for those who don't tell tell people what bubbles and squeak are. Yeah, dude. <laughs> well, it's yeah, dude, uh, man, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're. we're 
So bubble and squeak is the name of a dish that basically British people make after leftovers. Um, it's, it's basically all your leftovers. So it's a potato cake, um, but it's topped within leftover gravy and turkey, but has uh, cabbage and uh, all sorts of like corn and everything else mixed in. You can actually go and find it. If you go to the Food Network uh, website and you can look up Danny's Bubble and Squeak, um, yes. the name comes from the noise that it makes as it's cooking. Okay. So it's Bubble and Squeak. But it is the ultimate leftover dish personally that's what i feel okay because kobe actually kobe had food network up earlier because he we i was trying to explain to him the concept of brining how are you on brining sir i i don't think you really have to do it personally um because you're only plumping out the bird but um my my trick for uh, for actually turkey and you know the strange thing is in 10 years i've been doing thanksgiving recipes uh for people i've never i forgot i've always forgotten to tell people this amazing trick mm-hmm. and it is that um don't worry about the brining because the, the turkey I, I personally like a turkey that you want it moist and everything but if you put enough butter on it and you basted it enough you don't need the brine um but when through the cooking process um here's, here's a trick so when you t- when you do the turkey the first thing you always do is you set the turkey off on a high heat uh, around 400. Um, it's, it's covered in butter, herbs, spices, a little bit of salt and pepper, whatever you like. Um, you, you brown the turkey off, and then you're going to drop the heat, and then you're going to cook it, obviously, about 15 minutes per pound for over, depending on how big the turkey is. So if it's two or three hours, cook it on a low heat, put the foil over the, the turkey, and always remember the reflective side of the foil goes turkey side down right because you're reflecting the heat um within the the what they call the tent chamber so what i generally do is an hour before um i'm finished i pull the turkey out and i take a bottle of beer and i put the bottle of beer in the bottom of the tray and then i re-tent i I basically put a, a nice foil tent over the turkey and that rehydrates the turkey um before serving so if you're panicked about it, the turkey's going to get dry, don't worry about brining, don't worry about basting. All you have to do is put a bottle of beer or um, uh, some, some basically some stock for your gravy at, at the bottom of the pan, retent it, and let the steam hydrate your bird. Cool. Can you, can you add beer to gravy? You can add beer to anything. <laughs> <laughs> we we kind of knew that, but we wanted a professional opinion. Uh uh, as as a professional, I would say that you can add beer to anything. <laughs> <laughs> Not like the days of college where it was, we came with donuts. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Danny, we we really really appreciate your time. And by the way, sp- special kudos for mentioning Nine. That's an underappreciated musical as well, with a with, with a really really fun cast. But um, yeah, we. Uh, when do you think you're going to be back in the states? Uh, I'll be back February. So uh, yep. Uh, we'll be bringing actually uh, Gastronauts Academy and uh, Gastronauts Adventures. We'll be doing an Aspen special cool. um, in in February, and we'll bring and the family and I'll be returning then. So, be so. really excited. We're actually we we do miss like we we're here uh, for our family in the UK, but if if, if ever my family um, in the states hears this, we do miss them and we are thankful for them. Um, but we're also thankful for the for the, the amazing holidays in the US because we do really miss that. We miss we miss. We miss the, the enthusiasm um, that the country has at this time. You know, we really do feel it's a very special time of the year, and we, and we really wish we were there with our family and friends. 
So you're going to tell your your friends and family about our show? Oh, of course. I mean, you're going to post it on Facebook <laughs> afterwards, right? So don't worry about it. Absolutely. So, Danny, thank you so so much. Have a great holiday, and we appreciate the tips and the movie stuff. And we we'll be in, I, I know we'll talk online, but uh, we'll be in touch very soon. Absolutely, my friend. Have a great holiday. All okay, right, guys. Take care, Danny. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Danny Boom, one of our regulars. Fun there. So, yep. So what we learned, Kobe, a uh, bottle of beer goes with everything. Cool. And uh, you got, you just got, you don't, you don't have to brine, you know, if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. So we got that taken care of. And uh, I'm gonna add beer to my gravy now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. We we got a few minutes left. Uh, there was some film talk in there. Uh, <laughs> A little bit. It was a business lunch. It we was, talked about stuff. That's right. Yeah, we're, you know, we keep the receipts. We can put this off on our taxes. Um, opening in theaters today, the, the this weekend, actually. The Theory of Everything. You can read Ed Johnson Knott's review of that in Nubo. That's, of course, about uh, young Stephen Hawking uh, when he was meeting his, the love of his life. Um, also, of course, as we mentioned, Horrible Bosses 2 and the Penguins of Madagascar. Still They're horrible. Still <laughs> bossing. Hi, Jennifer Aniston. Um, that, those are in theaters, as well as The Bishop's Wife, which is happening at the Artcraft Theater in Franklin. Uh, that is happening Friday and Saturday. Uh, go to Artcraft, historicartcrafttheater.org for more information. And uh, I guess the Rocky Horror Picture Show is going to be shown uh, Friday night or Saturday night at midnight at uh, at the Irving. So you can go to uh, at theirving.com for more information. Kobe, you have your alma mater up there? Uh, I do not. I'm oh, looking sorry. for I think I think we're on break. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, I know Johnny Angel actually is happening uh, on the 30th. We, you, we had already previewed that. That's Sunday with your girl, yes. Sylvia. Uh, that's 3 o'clock, the 1945 Hoagie Carmichael uh, film. Um, that's going to be. So go to IU Cinema, cinema.indiana.edu. Yep. Got a dead person we like. We don't have time for dead people we don't like. Uh, Japanese actor Ken Takakura, who passed away at the age of 83. According to the New York Times, the AP obit, apparently he was the Japanese Clint Eastwood in the 50s and 60s okay. with the films like Abashiri Prison, Railroad Man, um, a film like Dearest, which was his last film. But for American audiences, there's, there's a couple films of note that I remember. He was uh, he actually apparently didn't have that many comedic roles, but he was one as a baseball coach in the Tom Selleck vehicle Mr. Baseball from 1992, where he plays an American ball player going to Japan. He was also in Ridley Scott's Black Rain, the Michael Douglas uh, detective thriller, and his first major American movie, which you really should check out. I might make Kobe watch it. From 1974, The Yakuza, directed by Sidney Pollack, written by Paul Schrader, and starring Robert Mitchum. Fine film. Thank you for your work, Ken. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the holidays, but here, some words to live by. Silent Breed is people! Zardoz has spoken. Everybody, have a great, safe Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, nothing, no present is worth knocking people over. And uh, we'll try this again next week. Not oh, even d- Turbo Man? Not even Turbo Man. <laughs> um, it's a Wonderful Life, December 6th and 7th at Anderson University. Uh, I'll be talking about that a little more next week. Go see a good movie. You deserve it. Have a great holiday. You're listening to Film Sociology, a film talk show here on WFYI HD to the Point and WFYI.org. Go Lions, go Red Wings, go Pistons. Oh, they're playing. They are playing. Uh... It's always playing. So there you go. <laughs> we go. Good night, California. Good night, Fort Myers. Happy Thanksgiving.